Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses, we'll pray and we'll get into our passage today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, God, um, as we sang about your majesty, your glory, uh, your sovereignty. Father, we look to you now and we ask that you would uh, lift our eyes and our hearts and minds up to you. Father, I pray that we would uh, be reminded, Lord, of how great and awesome you are. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that ultimately the world's events are in your hands. Uh, So often uh, we confess that we look around us and we see the things that are happening in our culture, in our world, and we leave you out of the equation. We think that um, maybe in our actions and our thoughts, our lives don't reflect that you are a God who is in control and one um, who is who is working in our midst and in the chaos. And so, Father, we pray that this day you would help us to truly lift our eyes up as this passage challenges us to do so, that we would look up, we would see you, we would see your hand in our life, and we would um, just shed the concerns that we have about ourselves. Um, Lord, help us to be people that honor you, and look to you and see you in the details of our life. Uh, may we be a light unto this world for you. For you ultimately are our only hope. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And Father, we do look to you now uh, as we transition in Colossians uh, from largely doctrine to now practice. Father, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, that you would help us to see um, these great truths that through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and our uh, trusting and coming to him in faith, Lord, that we have joined him, joined with him in his death, that we've joined with him in his resurrection, and that as we long for the future day uh, when we will be with him in glory, Father, we pray that you would help us to align our lives uh, to these truths. Uh, We are grateful again, Lord, uh, for all that Christ has done for us, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know about all of you, but I, like, I love dreaming about the future. Anna's, like, always, Anna and I are wired very differently. Um, My relaxation is often something that, like, really stresses her out. Because um, what I need is the carrot, like I always need the carrot. And if I have the carrot, I can endure whatever. Normally the carrot is like a vacation. And so I can plan out a vacation for like two years down the road, and I can like fiddle with it and sort of tweak the details. Doesn't matter how far out it is, as long as it's there, like I can sort of just be happy. And I'll, I'll come up to Anna, like I'll be all stressed out, I'm like, Okay, I was thinking about this, and she's like, Connor, it's two years away. Like, like, can we talk about it closer? I'm like, okay, okay. 
So I come back a week later. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so uh, in the last week, I've, ch- I've changed the hotel. I'm thinking this hotel. And she's like, Gunner, like, like, I love having the thing in the future. The problem is I, I don't always look far enough down the road. The Bible tells us that we need to look really, really far down the road to that day when we'll stand before Christ and that we'll then orientate our lives around it. So often we get caught in the, the minutia, the, the flavor of the day of the news, and we start focusing on, on the headlines and being consumed with things that really are meaningless in the light of eternity. And we get caught up in these things. And so today's passage, Paul is going to push us and challenge us in, in ways that are really difficult as we think about it. As I've considered this passage, I've, I've really grappled with like the implications, like what does it mean in my own life, l- let alone how, how do I communicate this to you? And I'm, I've really had to reach the place where uh, I, I have to be okay not filling in the blanks, <clears throat> that if I can get you all to lift up your heads and keep your eyes on Christ and, and to see what the blanks are and how they're supposed to be filled in in your own life, I will consider that a success. We are guilty as followers of Christ of, of looking at the horizontal and not looking and searching vertically. And so today, the very first word we come in in our passage is therefore. <clears throat> I know it seems like every week that I, I ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, I'm not going to ask it for you guys. I, I'm just going to go ahead and answer it because I think you guys all know uh, we're supposed to ask, why is it there? Well, today's is, is different. And I tend to ask this question every week because I tend to go from like, therefore to therefore, because it's sort of a thought. This therefore, there's an immediate context, but then there's the bigger context. The, the bigger context is this is the tipping point in the book of Colossians. So far in this letter, Paul has been very lofty. Uh, he's been up at like 35,000 feet with God and doctrine and truth. And now it's, we're getting to like the brass tacks of doctrine, the so what of the doctrine. Doctrine should drive our practice. And so he's turned the page. He's laid out doctrine and truths and things that we need to understand. Now he's going to get into the nitty gritty. We're getting closer and closer to the thing that John kept trying to ruin my vacation I'm on vacation, I'm at church, I'm just trying to enjoy the passage, and he's like, oh, Gunnar will handle this one. Wives, submit to your husband. I'm like, why you got to ruin my vacation? Like, why are you stressing me out? That's like months down the road. Well, we're getting there. Like, it's still a few months, it's still a few weeks away, but we're in the chapter. Chapter three is like the application of these truths. And so when we come to this, therefore, we have the bigger therefore of this is now, we're in the second half of the book, we're getting to the application the immediate context, we have last week's passage, which, which was the, the admonition, the warning. Stop adding to what Christ did. Christ died on the cross for you. Your sins were nailed to the cross. His death paid the penalty, the wrath of God that was due you in full, period. Everything. He was your substitute. It was complete. It was final we respond in faith. We bring nothing to the table other than our sin. We don't bring works to the table. There is nothing that we can do. And so last week, we started in chapter 2, verse 20, and it said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, 
Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves? And he lists these three different categories. Legalism, uh, mysticism, sort of you can't know what God has to say. You need this guru to kind of take you to the next level, to kind of give you insight about these unknown things about God. Um, Also, uh, like kind of bridging the gap, what Christ couldn't do for you. He, his sin only paid for part. And so therefore, if you subject your body to harsh treatment, you uh, in, in thought are kind of bridging that gap. You're, you're closing the distance so that your relationship can be okay with God. And he says, this Christ died for you. His payment was full and complete. In him, you stand complete. Why in the world would you go for this substitute that's only going to rob you of what God is trying to offer? And today, he's going to point them to their identity with Christ's resurrection. So we, we move from you have died with Christ to today you have been raised up with Christ. And he's going to focus on this. He's going to point to them to their identity, our identity, the things that are true based on our identity with Christ. So he says, therefore, in the New American Standard, and many of the translation, it uses the word if. Uh, Therefore, if you have been raised with, been raised up with Christ. So this if in the Greek is a a first-class condition. For like 99% of you, that means nothing. Um, It's a literal translation. So in, in the Greek, the Greek language can use if in a variety of different ways. I'm so I'm talking to like the one or two of you that really like this stuff. Um, this is the first class condition, which means if and you are, you could translate it. Um, the, the NIV and the New Living Translation did a great job translating this, and they translate it since because it's 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 a positive thought. It's not a conditional if, like if and you might be or you might not be. He's saying if and you have been raised up with Christ since you have been raised up with Christ. So if you are a believer, and Paul was writing to these Colossians, and his assumption, his belief, is that they are believers in Christ, that they are saved. At no point in this letter does he question the legitimacy of their salvation. His aim is protecting their salvation for fear that people were coming in and robbing them doctrinally and leading them off course. So he comes to them and he says, since You have been raised with Christ, which begs the question, I have to ask it in a group this size, for those who are listening potentially, is have you been raised with Christ? Meaning, have you placed your faith in Christ for salvation? Because if you haven't responded, then this is sort of meaningless. Like you can know all of the facts, but knowing the facts doesn't make you saved. You hear the facts. Jesus died for you. The the Bible makes it clear that the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus on the cross for your sin, for my sin. He absorbed it all. The payment was full. That doesn't make you saved. The transaction, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, is that after hearing the gospel, this truth, you respond with either disbelief or belief. And in Ephesians 1, 13, we're told that you believed. And so if you've trusted in the truth that Jesus died for you, for your sins, and you've placed your faith in him, then you're saved. You have the spirit of God within you. You have died with him. 
and now you have been raised up with him. This, this picture, uh, this picture was introduced to us back in chapter 2, verse 12. If you'll turn with me to chapter 2, verse 12, I have to find it in my Bible. Maybe I'm giving the... um, So in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so this is uh, the, the introduction to this theme, death with Christ, resurrection. He's battling against circumcision, and he makes the leap from circumcision to baptism, and he says, for the Christian, the modern believer, your picture of your relationship with God is pictured through baptism. When you go under the water, you're identifying with Jesus's death. When you come up from the water, you're identifying with his resurrection. Then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, which we looked at next week, he begins to expand on it. So last week we looked at the first half. If you have died with Christ, if you've died with Christ, it's pictured through spiritual baptism. He lists verses 20 through 23, all of the things we looked at last week, these are the things that you're not to do. Namely, don't depart from Christ. Don't depart from grace. The, the temptation or the threat by outsiders coming in is that you come to Christ, you accept him for your salvation, you have this relationship with God, then others are going to come around and they're going to introduce teachings, doctrine. And they're going to say, "Ah, well, that's good, but you need to do this or you need to do that. And they're going to add to the gospel. And so Paul gives this warning. If you've died with Christ, don't do these things. Don't slip into this reality. But now, therefore, if you've been raised up, from, raised up with Christ, keep think, seeking the things above, but now raised up. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of do's. We're going to, with our thinking today, but really all of chapter 3 is going to be, if you have died with Christ and you've been raised up with him, now, therefore, in light of this truth, this is how you're to live your life. And he's going to get into some really nitty pick, like he's going to get into your business. And I'm going to be forced to like step on your toes because my toes are going to be stepped on. There are things that I'm going to have to grapple with. Like if I have given my life to Jesus and I now identify with him as my savior, that means he's my Lord. That means he has a claim in my life and how I go about my day-to-day life. Then he has input, like a whole lot of input. And I'm going to give an account one day when I stand before him. How did you respond to the the things that I put your way? How did you handle these things? And so if we really allow ourselves to chew on these truths and to think about them, it's mind-boggling. It's like, like if you have been raised with Christ, this, this is, I don't want to say it's crazy, but the thought that, Here I am, when I entered this world some 47 years ago, that I'm told that this Jesus some 2,000 years ago lived and walked and had a perfect life. And I know that my life wasn't, that I can somehow identify with him, and that the sins that I committed some 2,000 years later were actually projected on him at the cross. And all I have to do is believe 
and somehow his work on the cross is now credited to my like spiritual account? That's overwhelming. So since this is true, therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Um, there's some similarity between this verse and the next verse. So keep thinking, seeking the things above. Um, verse 2, set your mind on the things above. I, I struggled with like, how, like how, do we, how do we enter into this? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. This is really a difficult concept. At this point, what I need to point out is that this is, this is the main verb of, of verse 1. So when we look at, like, what's the command? What's the implication of verse 1? What, what is the so what? What are we supposed to do? Well, the, the driving force of verse 1 is to keep seeking the things above. Everything in the, every other word in this verse ties into that truth, that we're to keep seeking the things above. Since we have died with Christ, we're to stop a whole lot of things. And if we've risen with Christ, it's not that we just stop and stop living our lives and go, okay, I've died with Christ. Now I just need to like not think, not do anything, not move, not because if I do anything, then I'm going to sin. And then it's all over. Oh man, I just sinned in that because that means that I think it's my own work. So it's like the Bible just doesn't leave us like in this like frozen moment. And a lot of people live like that. Like, oh, well, now I've sinned, and now I, that's where religion is born from. It's a solution. We're told that Christ's death on the cross was effective for all of your sins, past, present, and future. We've died to our flesh, and now we identify with him, and he's going to give us positive things. Like, now that Christ has paid for our sins, we now have freedom to live for him. Not perfectly, of course, but with him, the Holy Spirit within us, leading us, guiding us, convicting us, we have the opportunity to walk with him, which is actually beautiful. So that we're to keep, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And now we learn something about Christ. Well, where is this Jesus? There's many skeptics who would probably answer that one way. During that time, all they would have to do, all the Romans would have to do, all the Jews would have to do during that era and the people 2,000 years ago were not stupid people. Like, they were brilliant people. All you have to do is go anywhere in Europe. Like, go to Jerusalem, see the temple. Go to, I mean, Spain comes to my mind because that's where I grew up. But you go to Spain and look at the, the Roman ruins. Look at the architecture that these guys did before there was, like, John Deere and the other one, you know, the, what's the other one? Caterpillar. Yeah, you know that one. That's like, I, I'm clearly thinking of Tonka trucks and you, some of you are actually thinking about the real deal, you know, like, um, like these guys built it with none of that. So let's not like just go jump. Oh, the ancient people were really just gullible people and you were able to pull a fast. No, 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 no. This was huge. This was so big that the Jews had Jesus killed. Like this is how big it was. It was so big that the Romans guarded his tomb that he would not be stolen or, or snatched away. All they would have to do to put a, 
an end to these rumors that radically shifted the whole world in, in the immediate and in the long term was present the body of Jesus. And they could not do that because he is risen. And then he ascended into heaven. We're told at the right hand of God. This is huge. Before we start pushing back, well, that means it's not saying that he's got, that's not at all what he's saying. What he's doing here is he's quoting from Psalm 110, the most quoted Psalm of the whole of the New Testament. If you'll turn over there with me right now, we'll just quickly kind of skim through it. This is a huge messianic Psalm. This would be used by the early church. This is a prophecy of the things that would come for the Messiah. I'll have a sip of water while I hear the pages turning. We don't have time to like go into all of the various things, but Psalm 110 verse 1, the most quoted Psalm in all of the New Testament. Um, Just looking at the notes in my Bible, you probably have them there. We see Matthew chapter 22, verse 44, Mark 12, Luke 20, Acts 2, very early part of Acts. So when the early church is under attack and they're putting them before on trial, they're all referencing Psalm 110, and they're using this saying, this has been fulfilled in Jesus. And it says in verse 1, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In your holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this, this, this psalm is huge. You go through the New Testament, as you read through the New Testament, and you start seeing the illusion of this. It always points to the Messiahship of Jesus, that Jesus, who was always God, he didn't come into existence on the first Christmas day. He came to earth on the first Christmas day. He existed in an eternity past. You can read the very opening pages of Genesis, which I think is the next book we're going to attack in sort of, I haven't figured out all the details, but, but we need the origin. What does the Bible say? And God speaks in the plurality, let us make creation. In Colossians, we see Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And so here we see this this dialogue between father and son saying about things that are going to happen. Jesus comes, he's crucified, he raises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. Then those who are left behind, who walk with Jesus, they said, this has been fulfilled in Christ And so when we come to Colossians chapter 3 and we read, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We are not Jewish people who like have been searching and waiting for the Messiah. The vast majority of us are Gentiles. And so we read this and we think that Paul is just writing, oh, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. No, this is, this is, he is talking about prophecy that has been fulfilled, and he's referencing Psalm 110, saying that the Messiah came to earth, and now where he sits is in heaven at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling, waiting 
for the time when he will appear again. By the time we get to verse 4, we'll see that when he appears in glory, there will be with him in glory also as his followers. This is huge. Like, this is so lofty. How is a guy like me supposed to explain that? (laughs) It's like, it's mind-boggling. And so I think the point, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I think what Paul is telling us is, Positionally in Christ, we are with Jesus there now. But physically, we are here below. We're living as aliens in this land that's, that's supposed to be foreign to us. But the reality is, is most of us have become quite comfortable living in this land. And so he's trying to remind us, I think of our citizenship, where our ultimate home is, and how we're supposed to conduct our lives as followers of Christ. Jesus isn't caged up in some little box and the world is spitting out of control. You watch the news and you read the newspaper and you watch the feeds on your uh, social media and things are projected and then our heads explode and we think the whole world is out of control and it's just up to us to solve it and we solve it by, you know, yelling, screaming on social media, making political statements. None of this is going to solve. Jesus is in control, reigning, and ruling. The affairs of the world right now are are what they are because he's allowing it to happen. And who knows what's happening in the midst of all of the chaos? It's very easy for me to slip into my earthly brain and say, let's go take care of business. And this whole week, I've been super convicted every which way I turn. And I think, oh, that's earthly thinking. I don't like heavenly thinking. Like, I don't like, like, I just don't like, like, I just, I don't. But this week over and over again, I'm sure we're going to read about stories and books and things 20 years from now, if the Lord hasn't returned, about things that God was doing in the midst of the Afghani people that we'll never know about right now. So the command is to keep thinking the things above where Jesus is. Like, what does this look like? That's a dangerous question to ask. I know you didn't ask it, but it's gonna, he's going to like, it's coming. Watch, everybody's going to take their vacations in a couple weeks. I talked about vacation and things that are coming, so let's start mapping out. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. This is terribly difficult for us because it's like, what does this even look like? You know, there's this saying... I, I didn't have time to research where the saying came from, but I think it it's obviously was a dig on people who live this way. This is this, that an individual can be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But the reality is, is that it's the greater danger is that we're so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly value. When I look at history and the things that people have accomplished that were heavenly thinking, far more lasting than people who are earthly thinking. I mean, the classic example, since it's in my brain, since I just brought up the Middle East and and Israel. You go to Israel today, there's great remnant of Herod the Great and the things that he built. But history has very little recorded about him. And then you have this Jewish man, Jesus, who had nothing, left nothing on this world like tangible, but he is 
afflicted the world in this way that like has so been transformed because he's been he was well, I mean he was heavenly but he was heavenly minded Jesus in the sermon of the mount in Matthew 6:33 he commands his followers but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you all I have in chicken scratches next to this is, am I doing this? And I don't want to answer that question. And I would suspect that the vast majority of us don't want to answer that question honestly. Are we seeking his kingdom first? Are we seeking his righteousness first? John MacArthur says, to be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there and his purposes, plans, provisions, and power. It is also to view the things, people, and events of this world through his eyes with an eternal perspective. The things above refers refers to the heavenly realm and hones in on the spiritual values that characterize Christ, such as tenderness, kindness, meekness, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, strength, purity, and love. So we're to set our mind on these things. Back when I was in the military, my job was a communicator. And under stressful, like when it got stressful, it got extremely stressful for me. Um, Because if things got, my job was to communicate with the outside world. And Basically, because I had the, like, I was the one who called Uber for us to get out. And I was the one who could call in, like, the real guns for, for help. And it's like, you could be going through whatever you're going through. And then all of a sudden, you stop. And they're like, get comms. And you're looking around, and you're going, <laughs> do you know where we are? Like, we're at the bottom of a cliff, or this is a city, and you're saying just get comms up. It's like we need to go up there, and we can't go up there. Gunner, why do we need over there? Just get comms. I'm like, this isn't like T-Mobile is here. Like, I have satcom. Like, well, satellites are just up in the sky. I'm like, yeah, but you need the azimuth and the, 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 you know, the thingamajigger that's this way, the bearing, and... So it's like my whole. It's like okay, guys, just relax, just hold security. We'll get this thing going. Think I got good uplink, and and if it works, you're the everybody's hero. And if you're not, then everybody's like super mad at you, and then they put more pressure on you, which never helps the situation. And they're like, Gunner, get comms. I'm like, the uplink is like that, and there's a building right there. Like I like, we got to go out there. Gunner, we can't get out there. It's dangerous. It's like, well, you got to go one or the other. It's like, we got to get out there or we got to do it here. And I believe that this is what God wants us to do with our minds. He's given us the azimuth and the bearing of the things that he wants in our life. And he's telling us to like orientate our lives around him. This is our uplink and his downlink he comes back. Or this is our downlink and our uplink is prayer if we really want to take this. This, for the last, like since Galatians, I keep talking, and last week I know I brought it up. I like I've been talking about this razor's edge that we're on, 
on one side we have legalism, which last week he warned about. On the other side, we have license, which means that we abuse grace and we just live however we want. This, this week, it was Ellie's birthday. She turned 12 on Tuesday. My dad always gives us, like, the, the, her birthday gift is a gift that we all get to enjoy. He gets us a couple nights at the catamaran down at the beach, which looks like, happy birthday, Ellie. Can't wait for her birthday. It's like, this is like, and, and so it's a time that I run once a year. Like, I go for a five-mile jog, and, and on one of my morning jogs, I had this, like, break, this thinking about the, like, I knew this passage was coming, and, like, this, I'm like, okay, we got the left is legalism, on the right is is license, and we're on this razor's edge, but how in the world are we supposed to keep our balance? And the thing that I haven't said is we can go up with our thinking. Like we're to keep our eyes on the ball, on Christ. And if we keep our eyes above, we'll stay grounded. and We, we won't go to the left. We'll not go to the right. We'll understand the great gift that he provided for us on the cross. So why in the world would we want to abuse it? And if we go to the left into legalism, saying that we do all this stuff, why in the world would we do that when he provided all? It's just foolishness because, I mean, as Paul says, it's, it's manure, it's dung, it's, it's mean, it accomplishes nothing. And so Paul is reminding us to set our mind on the things above, not on the things on this, wor- on, on this earth. And I hear 22-year-old Gunner coming at me. The problem is, Gunnar, that I'm in the world. Like, I'm immersed in the world. My, my occupation is in the world. You're telling me to live like this, but this is like pie-in-the-sky stuff. I, I'm in the midst of a bunch of guys that are, that are harsh. And, and my young Christian life as a Navy SEAL, trying to figure out how it fit, like, and I don't, like, the fact that I was a Navy SEAL, that's just what I was, that doesn't matter you 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 could work in an office you can work any like any job you're in the world but like really struggling like with how does this all fit like how does my christianity work itself out in the nitty gritty of my life for me it was like jesus says to love your enemy but the government is training me with big dollars to neutralize the enemy like, how do these two things fit? And I'm not a pacifist. Like, I've worked through these, these things in my own life. But, but how, how do we keep our minds heavenly focused while we're in the world? You know, Jesus, you're not, you're not of the world, but you're in the world. Like, I do think that this is a lifetime for us to figure out and to be honest with ourselves. And I do think through many of my own failures and in, in this journey of the Christian life, like I've seen that God has brought people into my life to help me orientate my thinking, to shift from the old way I used to think to the new, new way I, I think. You know, last Friday, I, I, last Friday I, I shared that I did this, this retirement ceremony for my buddy that's, that retired for, after 31 years. And right away, Anna's like, do you see the picture? I'm like, I didn't see the picture. And she found this new old picture of me. 
and I've been looking at it, and it's been very weird, like looking at it like, what was I thinking back then? Because like I was a brand new Christian, and it's just been really weird, like looking at the old self, like this guy had no idea what was coming. <laughs> like, like, like then life seemed like such a disaster, but when I look back, it was like I can see all of the seeds that God was planting in my life. You know, God brought people into my life. He also convicted me that some people had to be removed from my life. He, he began to like grow this desire in me for the word of God that I would be sort of like, like began just reading it and being in it. And I don't know how the Bible works. Like, I just don't know how it works. Like, you can't, like after service today, we're going to go out there for donuts. And you're not going to find a Bible verse to lead you to the proper donut. (laughs) But somehow, as you put the word of God into you, God begins to lead you. And it's hard to, like, quantify it. I found myself in, like, multiple Bible studies throughout the week, trying to, like, really immerse myself in Christianity, trying to figure out what it looked like, what this whole thing was about. And as I did that, I started to learn new music. And then consequently, as I started to learn more music, I began to be convicted about music that I was putting into me. And media. Well, there wasn't really the internet back then, but there was like television, movies, things that I was feeding within me. I realized that I was feeding the earthly thinking. And what I needed to do was to to die to that stuff and to begin feeding heavenly thinking. So as a church, I don't want us getting caught up in the flavor of the day. So many churches in the last 18 months have been caught up with like politics and how things, like I I just, I I don't want to get involved in that. I want to keep us where our, our noses are in the Bible and we're taking in the word of God and that God can lead each one of us individually like I want to promote relationships that build growth, and I think that we do that through time with each other. Like it seems like, well, we're having donuts. But what I've noticed about donuts, which is the real purpose, is last week, basically after church, we always have oranges and apples. Nobody stays for oranges and apples. <laughs> People are like, out of here. Last month... I'm like, come on, people, like, I want to go home. It's like noon, and people are like, oh, last donut's gone, but people are like all hanging out. And it's not about eating a donut. It's about the rubbing the elbows with one another and, and figuring out, like, what's happening in our lives. That's the purpose. We exist so that we help one another in this, this walk of ours. I'm really grateful for this last year. Like, there was a lot of pruning. There was a lot of refocusing. Like, why are we here and what's the main thing? As I look at this passage, there's a warning not to get comfortable and not to lose track of the main things. And I need constant reminders of this. And then we come to verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you are Christ, you've died with him. 
He will grab hold of you and he will change you. You might not see it in the moment, but over the course of time, you will see that he utterly changes how you view things, how you think about things. I look at that picture of me from like 25 years or however many years ago it was. Gunner's inclination then was to go left. Now my inclination is to go right. And it's like, how did that happen? Well, God's been changing me. And it's a weird feeling. As you grow and mature in Christ, and the first time you experience that your old habits no longer have an appeal, suddenly you're attracted to these heavenly things and these things of the Lord. And like, why is this? I go back to like movie, like this was, so Anna grew up in Spain. So she missed out on a lot of American culture. So I feel like it's been my responsibility to equip her (laughs) with American culture. I can't tell you how many times I go, Anna, this is an excellent movie. You got to watch it. Like I grew up on this and it's like just fantastic. And then I'll watch it and I'll go, Let's turn that off. Like, I, like, this is garbage. Like, what was the 17-year-old gunner paying attention to? It's happened tons of times. But the thing is, is like, I've changed because God has been working within me. Because I've died with Christ and my life is now hidden with him. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, this is beautiful, when Christ, who is our life, When you stop seeking the things around the world and you keep your eyes heavenward, that means your eyes are on Christ and what you crave and what you desire and what you long for is him. He becomes your life. And then we're told when he is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I saw somebody post... I try to get most of my news from memes. And uh, I saw somebody post something that was like, just imagine what the church would look like if it stopped looking for the Antichrist and it was looking for Jesus. Ooh. When Christ, who was our life, is revealed, that's who we need to keep our eyes on. This other stuff just doesn't, it's not as important. We've died with him in the past. We've risen with him in the past if you're in Christ We're seeking him presently and we'll be glorified with him in the future. And all of chapter three is going to be about dying to self because we need this reminder over and over and over again. So the big, so do we, so what do we do with this? Like we have communion. We're going to, we're going to do this. The the, the first and foremost question is, have you received Christ? If you've answered no, like, or in your mind, you have rejected Christ. You've not responded to him. That's the road you need to go down. You really need to investigate who is Jesus. What do you do with the Bible's claims? The Bible says that Jesus died for you, that you're a sinner, Jesus died for you. He absorbed the wrath of God that was due you. He took it on, and the punishment has been, has been made in full. And for those of us that have responded to this gift, then it's then Jesus is our Lord, and we need to really put him into that place where he is Lord of our lives, and we are his subjects. 
and we're free to be used by him, and he can lead us and guide us and, and have us do whatever he wants. The Life Application Bible Commentary said, we need to strive to put heaven's priorities into daily practice. We need to strive to put heaven's priorities into daily practice, which is really good. I want to end by reading Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses, and then we'll take communion. There's a battle for our minds. Is your mind going to be focused on the things of this earth that will lead you to discouragement, hopelessness, frustration, bitterness, wrath, anger? The list goes on. Or we can focus on heaven. We sang songs today, how great is our God. Dios es tan grande. Was I close? That's just, I've been really working on Spanish. God is so big. He's great. He's involved in everything. The things that you're worried about, stressed about, know that God has a plan. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, after going through the heroes of the faith, the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, Since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as we take communion today, I think this is a time where we ask God to show us things, sin in our life that's holding us back. Let us rid ourselves of every obstacle in the sin which so easily entangles us. Maybe God is asking you to turn off the news for a week or a month or forever. I don't know. What things are stumbling you? What do you need to do to feed Christ in you? Father, we come before you just humbled. Father, as we have been working through as a church, or many of us have, reading through the Bible and the chronological order as we've just, like the focus this year, so much of it has been the Old Testament. And it's always so surprising to me the, 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 the constant stumbling into sin, the constant cycling back, your constant pleading with the people, to follow after you, to turn to you, to hear the warning, to come to you because of your mercy, to come to you because of your grace. I find this same cycle alive in my life, Lord. This world is a distracting place. The flesh within us is strong. And so, Father, we confess that we so often get off course. 
I pray, Father, that you would show each one of us, Lord, how it is and what things are are hindering us from experiencing that which you want us to experience in Christ. We pray that you would teach us uh, to keep our heads above and our eyes above and to truly desire Jesus in our day-to-day life. Father, for those of us who work and serve uh, just in the world, it's a difficult place to be in the world and not of the world. And so I pray, especially for those who find themselves immersed in that way, that you would help them to be a light for you. Lord, each of us, we are in the world, and we pray that you'd help us to be a light. Lord, help us to guard our minds. Help us to keep our eyes on the prize. May we press forward towards Christ. May you continue to do the work that you began in us long ago. As we take communion today, Lord, we're reminded of your broken body that was uh, broken for us, that our sin was placed upon Jesus. We thank you that he absorbed it in full. The juice that we have in our hand is a reminder of this eternal covenant that we have in Christ. We thank you that his death, burial, and resurrection was once and for all, and that we stand secure in him. Father, help us to keep our eyes on Jesus all the days of our life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.